We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. I'm excited to have you join us today for the third episode with Chelsea as she discusses Kenna and Angelman syndrome. I'm Tamara Crabtree with Oklahoma Family Network, and I am thrilled for you to hear our continued conversation as Chelsea discusses a few more medical challenges Kenna has overcome as well as the sibling relationship in their home. Now, the conversation is in progress. Hospital stay, because it was really eye-opening to me of like how this, because I was so used to the hospital before COVID and, you know, there were no rules and like, it didn't matter where you were walking or like where you walked in, like they let, it was one way in, one way out. You couldn't even, like, I had to have my food delivered. They weren't allowed to come. Like, I was barely allowed to leave because if you left, you couldn't come back in. And, like, I couldn't even get my food delivered because, like, they weren't allowed in. Like, there was, like, this huge ordeal. I'm like, some way I have to get my food. Like, I'm hungry, so I'm like, get my food. My heart breaks for the adults there that literally couldn't have anybody with them. I mean, it's eye-opening because you have, you, you see it. You see people dropping off clothes for the, you know, the adults that are up there with COVID or whatever, and they can't have visitors. I'm like, that's heartbreaking. And this should not be how it is or was. And, you know, I hope eventually all of that goes back to normal because that's just, nobody wants to be in the hospital by themselves. And I know like even me as a parent, like being there by myself, literally for 14 days with a baby that literally just slept the whole time and like, it's boring. And I'm like, it's not fair. And I'm like, couldn't have my husband. I couldn't like nothing because I wasn't allowed to like leave the building and come back. Like I was the one and done deal. And so, I mean, and what's funny is like, we have been in the hospital so much. I never once showered in the hospital. I had told myself, I said, if one thing goes my way, I go home to shower. (laughs) And that was something I always told myself. I'm like, I will you know, even when she was, you know, on our first 120 day stay, you know, I never once showered at the hospital. I would switch off. I would go home and shower. I showered more at the hospital back in January. Like I showered every night <laughs> and I'm like, it's just funny. Cause I'm like, I would be in there and I'm like, I'm taking a shower. And I'm like, I told myself I would never shower in the hospital. That I would always find a way to go home to shower. And here I am stuck in the hospital. Like it's a prison with no choice. And I'm using like the, like, you know, the shampoo from the hospital because like, how else am I going to shower? Which that, like, which that makes sense because at least you can go home and have that mental break and have that yes. time to not shower, kind of make that a rule as, okay, I'm going to walk away for just a little bit so I can shower and not have to live this. But COVID has presented a whole nother, I guess, idea of what families and parents are experiencing. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it just cracked me up and I, and it's not funny, but it was funny. Cause I'm like, this is silly. I'm like, I can't even have my husband come up here and switch with me because he's not allowed to. 
And I'm like, I just want to shower. And I told the nurse, I was like, I'm going to shower. I stink. And she's like, oh, here, here's this. And she like gives me this tiny little thing of soap. And I'm like, okay. And then I remember I did a Target order or something with, for shampoo and like a real towel. And I made my sister, because she lived right by the hospital. I'm like, go get me this and bring it up here so I can actually take a shower. And then it was cracking me up because it was like the best shower I've ever had. And I would, I took a shower every night that I was there. And I'm not a person to do that. I'm like, <laughs> I take my shower twice a week. And so I'm like, three times a week, you know? And it's like, I was showering every night, washing my hair every night. I'm like, okay, okay, I sh I'm fine, I'm fine. But it was, it just had me cracking up because I'm like, it was a crappy situation, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna take advantage of it. I'm gonna just take a shower. <laughs> and I remember the night nurse would come in at seven. I'm like, Hey, nice to meet you, but I'm taking a shower, so I will be in there. My <laughs> me time is in the shower for you. And she's like, and all of them were just so understanding. They're like, you do you. And they're like, do you mean anything? And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. But it was just, it's just funny how that perspective changed so quickly because I, I didn't have choice. Like if I was going to shower, had to be there, didn't have choice. So that was a 14-day stay. So that was another long stay. And I'll kind of recap too. In between from the time we were discharged from the Children's Center, you know, 2019, 2020, I don't want to say we were completely out of the hospital during that time. Then we did have a couple hospital stays. Um, Kenna had some minor surgeries and she had sleep apnea, which I think I talked about a little bit, but, you know, we had some things to do with that that we had to take care of. And um, so... She has had a lot of hospital stays even between, you know, that initial discharge from the Children's Center and then getting readmitted in October 2020. It wasn't ever anything super life-threatening, but, you know, that, I think that just comes with, you know, a special needs child. You kind of, you get thrown curveballs a lot. And, but the, the main thing was this year in 2021 where it was like real life altering things that, you know, going from it, even just going from a G2 to the GJ is life-changing. I mean, you wouldn't think that. If the G2 is pulled out, you can put a new one in at home. It's super easy. We've done it many, many times. We've had lots of instances where she pulls it out. We put a new one in, pops, put it in. Okay, the GJ comes out or she pulls it out, which she's already done once, unfortunately. You have to go to the hospital and have it placed. So like, that's one thing that like really stinks about it. It's because it's, you know, it's placed under radiology. And the one she got placed in January, we made it five months though. So that was a huge deal. She did, she pulled it out at the beginning of, or the end of June. I was so aggravated because she was rolling on the floor and I looked over and her tube is like on the carpet. And I'm like, no. <laughs> But with that being said, it's like just even going from that to that, like a G2, from a G2 to a GJ is like a huge deal because now she's fed. I mean, she was, she was fed pretty continuously, but we were working towards shorter feeds where she wasn't hooked to her feeding pump all the time. And she's hooked to her feeding pump 24-7. So she has like a little backpack with her feeding pump in it. I mean, for her, it doesn't really bother her per se, but it is, as she becomes more mobile, it's going to become more tricky because, you know, if I lay on the floor, I'm constantly like unraveling her. She gets the cord and pulls on it and thinks it's a game. And 
So, but even just going from that to that is like a huge deal. But so this year, shortly after getting discharged with a toxic megacolon, Kenna had, this was uh, two weeks after, Kenna had a tonic-clonic seizure. So we don't really know if it was because she had been so sick. We don't know if it's because of her Angelman syndrome, because unfortunately, like, Angelman syndrome brings epilepsy. And in summer of 2020, she, we thought she had had a seizure, but we really weren't sure, and it wasn't anything that was, like, super alarming. But then at the beginning of January, whenever she first got sick with that uh, toxic megacolon, we thought we had saw a little seizure, but then again, we weren't 100% sure. We were like, we don't know. So two weeks after being home, she ends up having a full-blown seizure. And that was her first real seizure. Like, and this is also something that I think I'll never forget because it was the first time I was in complete shock. Didn't, I knew what to do, but I, in the moment you don't know what to do. And it's like, and it happened at seven o'clock in the morning. It was a Sunday morning. I remember I got up and I was going to give her her medication and she looked weird to me. Like she looked really off and I'm like looking at her and I'm like, what's going on? And she just gives me this look and she like starts dry heating and she doesn't do that really. When she had her G2 place, she had a fundo done. I didn't really explain that, but basically she doesn't really throw up. And so she started like gagging. And I was like, oh no, like what's about to happen, you know? And so I, I lay on the floor and I was about to start giving her medication and she starts breathing really heavy and holds her breath and passes out. Eyes roll back. She completely went unresponsive. And it, mind you, it's seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, so my whole house is asleep. And so I'm the only one awake. And I remember I just like screamed for my husband. And I'm like, get in here right now. Like that is not even anywhere close to what I really was saying. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, like get in here. And we have oxygen at home. Thankfully, we, she still qualifies for that because of her sleep apnea. Um, so I like, we have it, we don't use it unless it's like, she's like sick or having a really, really bad night or something like that. But, or in our case, if she had a seizure. So I get, I didn't even have her on the pulse ox. So I like, I get the pulse ox and I get her hooked up. Her oxygen's like in the seventies and she's completely unresponsive. And we have an emergency seizure medication, which we got initially in January after she had that first seizure because we didn't have one. And her neurologist was like, oh, here, you need this, go home with this because if she has a seizure, like you need to have that. I don't know what, she didn't know why we didn't have it to begin with. Because you normally, if you're diagnosed with something with epilepsy, like you're automatically like given an emergency medication. We were never given one. And, but we did have one for this seizure and I never done it before. Hopefully I'm doing this right. You know, and I do what it says and you have to like stick it in her bottom. So I give it to her. It does nothing. I'm like, okay. So at that point, you know, we call 911 and the whole shebang. And there is no ways to describe watching your baby have a seizure like what was happening to her and I know there's so many families that 
walk that path and do it way more than we have and kids that have seizures on the daily and I just don't know that just it's just so hard I couldn't imagine having to do that all day long like or seeing it and you know or being uncontrolled seizures and thankfully hers are controlled now but when she had that seizure and I gave that rescue med and she didn't, nothing happened. I'm like, she was just laying there and responsive. I'm like, we were like stimulating her and like had the oxygen on her. And I'm like, told my husband, I'm like, I like pretty much just like throw her to my husband. I'm like here. And like, she just like goes limp in his arms and head falls back. And I'm like, whatever you do, just like keep her stimulated. She's breathing, but it's not very good. And, you know, now we just gave her medicine. That's going to make her even more, you know, sleepy. So I'm like, keep her alert until the paramedics get there. And they get there and, you know, you know, calling 911 in general, like that's not the first time we've done that. Like we've done it many times. And I'm like, it's always an event. <laughs> and, you know, I'm never prepared. We had just been, gotten home. I didn't have a list of her medic, like updated medication. You know, I wasn't prepared for that. And they're like, where's the list of her medications? I'm like, I don't have one. And I like, I still have the bag of the medicine, like all in a bag. So I'm like, here, this is everything. I like chunk the bag of medication to the paramedic. And I'm like, here, everything that we're taking is in there. And she's like, okay. And then, you know, they're working with her and they're trying to get an IV on her and um, they get all that situated and they get us out to the ambulance and um, they maxed out medication on her before we even left our house. They could not get her to stop convulsing. At the point that we were in the ambulance, still sitting outside of my house she was still convulsing at that point it had been 20 minutes you know by the time it started to the time we got her into the car you know or into the ambulance and I just remember her saying I have to call the hospital to get approval to give her more medicine I'm like they'd done IV they did like up the nose I'd already given her rectal medicine I mean she was like totally like maxed out on meds it was so crazy and I remember they got something approved and they did something else and at that point we were already like driving to the hospital they can't like start driving off unless like they're like doing CPR like they they have to like have some type of stable situation if they can I know there's like a lot of protocol about it and I can't tell you everything because I'm not a paramedic I just know that they weren't driving off when I thought they were gonna drive and they, and I don't think they could because they had to have a way to help her on the way there and they didn't. And I don't know, there's some type of protocol behind that. But by the time we got to the emergency room, she was still seizing when we got there. And so by the time they got two doses of IV, like they did like IV Keppra or something like that, which like boluses finally got her to stop seizing I mean it had been 45 minutes of seizing and at that point you're seizing that long and you don't know what the outcome is going to be now like when she wakes up I don't know we I just knew that they were going to admit us to the ICU and I didn't know what was going to happen I mean she they were worried about her respiratory system because she was so like so drugged up. I mean, that was the reason for the ICU stay because they were worried that she was just gonna stop breathing. And surprisingly, she didn't. I mean, I was so shocked. She didn't need any oxygen after we got up there. She just slept. <laughs> she slept like she's never slept before. And I'm like, 
really girl? And then she woke up, like nothing happened. I mean, as happy as could be. I'm like, you just put me through all that for you to wake up and be like, oh, hi everybody. And I remember they had just, I don't know how my husband got approved to come up there because it was really just a couple of weeks after that first day, but they allowed him to come up there. I think it's because we were trying to leave. And actually I know why there was a bunch of bad weather. I think we had a bunch of snow or something that day or ice. And I told him that my husband was coming up here. And they're like, that's fine. You guys are leaving anyway. So he got, luckily got like to come up there. And I remember I was videotaping on my phone, him walking into the room because like she practically jumped out of the bed. Like she like grabbed the railing and she's like, pretty much like, hey dad, like here I am. And I'm like, no. I like you just put us through the most traumatizing thing we've ever been through. And you just go wake up happy. Which I'm so glad, of course. It's just so funny because that's just how Kenna is. Like, she will go like horrible, something horrible happening to just like I'm here. And it's every time. It's every time. And it's so funny. And but that that all happened in January. I mean, yeah. Crazy. Crazy. So do you feel like she's starting to recover from the C. diff and from the megacolon and all of that? Do you feel like she's kind of to the point now where maybe life is going to calm down for a minute for her and she'll be able to, I mean, we don't say that out loud, right? She no, keeps no, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, she's, no, you're, no, yeah, she's the best she's been all year right now. Uh-huh. What are you doing? You're telling us that. She's over here like, I'm good. But she, yeah, so right now she's knock on wood. I mean, the healthiest quote, I guess, quote unquote, healthiest she's been um, in a while. Um, we have her on some new medication that seems to be helping her. Um, she, when she was, and here's, here's the plot twist to all of this. <laughs> so not only was she diagnosed with C. diff, when they did the scope back in January, and like I said, she had lesions all over her stomach. Is she was diagnosed, I'm gonna just say the short, which is HSP. So if you if you're listening to this and Google HSP, it's gonna say Henoch something before I I don't know what the middle word is. It's it's really common in kids like five and under. Normally though, you don't find out how we found out. Like, it usually portrays, like, in kids having, like, a rash, like, all over their body. And, like, normally the kids are, and they have stomach pains. But, like, the way we found out, Kenna didn't really have, like, the typical rash. But she had the lesions in her stomach that her GI, like, immediately knew, like, yeah, she has the seed in her colon. But like she has something else too, which is this HSP. And so we treated the C. diff, but we also had to treat this HSP. So there's, I'm like, there's always a plot twist to our stuff. So I'm like, yes, we had this, but we have this. And then it's like, there's always something. So with this HSP, she was treated with steroid treatment. Um, it's just the typical medication you treat. HSP with and she responded we started treatment in the hospital so like after she was scoped 
her GI doctor put her on, a, on an IV steroid and she re-scoped her during that stay because she had to, had to replace her GJ tube. So like she was able, like within 24 hours, was inside her stomach two times. Within 24 hours, the lesions inside her stomach lining were completely gone because of steroids. So it was like this really bizarre, like double diagnosis kind of like, don't ask me why or how that happened. I'm like, it's just our luck, I guess. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm just thinking back to what you said earlier about that advocacy as a mom to say, I knew this wasn't right. I knew I needed a second opinion. I knew we needed to see a different doctor, you know? And so that gut instinct that you had as a mom to say, okay, I've got to call somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who can get us in and, mm -hmm. and we're able to get in. So uh, yeah, kudos to you, mom. I mean, <laughs> like, but it's just like, yes, you have to advocate. And like just this little story of us from this year is a huge, you know, thing of like why ad like advocating is so important. Like, you know, I didn't advocate as much in the beginning. I just felt like we were just kind of trucking along. But then like, you know, I knew in my gut and I still in my, we are still searching for answers, 100% answers for her. She's not 100% better. She is getting better, but we are still, I'm still fighting for her. I mean, I don't think I'll ever not be fighting but we're still kind of in this window, like there's, we, there's still something going on. We're just not sure what it is. Um, but with that HSP stuff, it, it's considered an autoimmune disease. Basically the body is attacking itself. And for anybody listening that doesn't know what an autoimmune disease is, that's what it is. It's just, there's lots of them and it's basically whatever's happening to you is your body's attacking itself. And so unfortunately, the HSP is autoimmune. The C. diff is not. The C. diff is an infection. So that could have triggered an autoimmune response, which could have been why she ended up with this HSP. But then she, it, then it turned into this prolonged HSP because, so she started steroids in January and she's still on steroids. So we have tried to wean her three times um, with no luck. And unfortunately, HSP can cause some other issues, which actually, when you really look into autoimmune disease, a lot of auto, autoimmune disease causes a lot of the same problems, like it can cause like kidney issues, it can cause like arthritis. So unfortunately, we kind of started trailing down this arthritis journey um, from the HSP. And this is, and this, I mean, this is all stuff that I've been like waiting to share, but I wanted the right way to share it. And like, I'm really thankful I get the chance to share all this. And so in June of this year, we finally got her in with a rheumatologist um, after not being able to get her off steroids. And she unfortunately was showing signs of arthritis. So like, she always has hated therapy, like always doesn't. She's never liked therapy because she's getting forced to do things she doesn't want to do. But this year, it turned into something different. Like we would go to therapy and she would scream in agony. Like, like even like after the CDF and like she was better, like she was better. So we were going back to therapy. She couldn't 
use her knee, like her legs, like so like joint pain, like her joints were hurting okay. and it didn't register with me until her GI was like, oh, she might have arthritis. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is why she screams in agony when she has to do anything that's related to her joints. Like if she's just laying and is chilling, she's fine. But if you try to put her on all fours or make her stand or use her arms, she would scream bloody murder. And I never, I thought it was just because she just hated therapy. Not, she loves her therapist, but it's just like the therapy aspect. And no, no, it's because she ended up, because of this prolonged HSP, she was diagnosed with juvenile arthritis and kind of wild, kind of crazy, kind of just happened. Um, it's unfortunate because it's kind of something that we're going to have to tackle probably for the rest of her life. I mean, she could go into remission and not have flare-ups, but unfortunately, like, this is something that on top of Angelman, on top of her epilepsy, on top of having a G-tube, we have arthritis and and another, then, you know, another autoimmune, another auto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like your body's attacking itself. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's what arthritis is. I mean, it's literally just attacking itself, just like the HSP. And so we all kind of brainstormed like it was me and like we saw her GI and then we saw the rheumatologist and we saw endocrinology and then, you know, her therapist were all like, we really feel like she just got so sick that her body just didn't know how to respond and it wasn't getting better. So it attacked itself and it caused like this whole list of problems. And it's super unfortunate, but we're, you know, we're thankful we're getting some answers. And so to treat arthritis, it's usually steroids at first, which we've been doing for six months. And if you're familiar with steroids for anybody that's listening or for you it's not good to be on steroids for a long time um it's just bad for your organs bad for your body and you know really it's just not good and and so we're creeping on now really we've been on them since january so what is it now it's almost august so now we're like creeping up eight months on steroids so that's just crazy how eight months flies by but you know we went to the rheumatologist in June of this year. And I'm so thankful we did because, you know, she's like, we have to get her off steroids. I'm like, I, she, she looked at me, she goes, she can't be on them all year. She goes, I need her off by December. She goes, I can't have her on it steroids for a year. She's like, we have to find something, some way to get her off steroids. And I was like, well, we've tried three times. Like we've tried to taper her off and she can't. And I remember her looking at me, she's like, what happens when she doesn't, like when she gets tapered off? And I said, well, her stomach bothers her. I was like, her joints bother her. I'm like, she's irritable. She's cranky. And she was like, and I showed her pictures of her knees and like her joints. I and mean, she instantly knew. She's like, oh, she definitely has arthritis. She was like, we have to treat the arthritis and get her off the steroids. Because unfortunately, steroids can mess with your gut too and so it can cause gut issues it's just it's weird how you do it to treat it but it can also do harm so um and I was not familiar with arthritis I don't know anybody really with arthritis I've never looked into it before it's not common in angelman kids so this is all not correlated to her neurological condition which is just crazy and so 
you know, I remember her kind of giving me some rundowns of like, you know, this is how we treat it and all these things. And the main thing they do, it's called methotrexate. So it's basically like a chemo, like a chemo medication. And I remember after she said that, which was so funny, she said that and I was like, hold on. I thought about it and I was like, I watched a YouTube video. I'm kind of like one of those people that watch like families that vlog on YouTube. And that's kind of like what I do on my spare time, you know? <laughs> I think that's just from being in the hospital all the time. But there was a family I watched and their daughter, I had heard that methotrexate before. And I was like, wait, I do kind of know what you're talking about. I had watched a video of this little girl that had I follow on YouTube and had got diagnosed with juvenile arthritis and started methotrexate. So then it kind of clicked and I was like, it's funny how you think you don't know about something. And then like, I was like, oh, I kind of knew what she was talking about. And then I had her cracking up because like the girl I'd watched, she had gotten an injection for it. So she would get it as a shot. And I was like, do I have to give Kenna a shot? I was like, I don't want to give Kenna a shot every week. And she was like, oh no, you can give it to her like through her G-tube. She won't have to swallow it because she didn't do that. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And so, because unfortunately like methotrexate is not a nice medicine to take, which is why most kids get an injection because you don't want to take it by mouth because it's pretty gross. But we don't have to deal with that because we just give all of her meds through her feeding tube. So she's been on methotrexate for six weeks now. We haven't seen any like adverse or like effects from it. We feel like she's handling it really well. Um, she gets one dose a week. And so we do that once a week and then she has to take like folic acid with it, which because it's a, it's like a chemo. So one of the uh, like side effects, you can get like the mouth sores and like really like her hair could fall out. We haven't really seen that thankfully because she doesn't really have much hair to lose. So I would hope it doesn't fall out. But so we haven't really seen any too terrible effects from it, but we, she's been stable. And we haven't seen any more flare-ups of her arthritis, which is amazing. So with the methotrexate, we've, you know, we feel like it's helped her a lot. Her joints are a lot better. She's like rolling on the floor and, you know, pulling her knees up underneath her and propping up on her elbows again, which she hadn't done really all year. I mean, we had gone like eight months without doing that because she just like, physically couldn't do it that's kind of been like this newest diagnosis is um this arthritis and um we think we have her in a stable position right now for that um we're still really struggling with gi the gi portion of it um she's tolerating being fed but we're still struggling with her gaining weight she's still like super super like considered failure to thrive, which a lot of parents hate that term. I try not to use it normally, but that's what she's considered right now. But um, we're, we're hopeful that we can keep on pushing and keep trying to figure out why she's not gaining weight. We don't really know why she's not gaining weight. It's so bizarre. We're, and like I said, we're still searching for answers and I'm still just fighting and advocating for her. 
um, she went to the GI like a week and a half ago and we did more stool samples and we're just waiting for those results like they said we've always just done like the basic stool sample because of the C. diff like she had been tested so many times to make sure it's gone or whatever but this time I was like no test more I'm like send it somewhere that is going to test more I was like I don't know what you want to look for. I was like, but there's something. Let's figure out like why her gut is still like not working. But why why are we not absorbing all of the yes? Yeah, there's some type of like like you said, there's something going on that she's not absorbing something right, and we just can't figure it out. Like we went to that endocrinologist um, because I wanted to make sure like it wasn't anything endocrine related, which would be like thyroid or like growth hormone. Um, and all of that was normal, which was reassuring as a mom who's been, you know, going through all that we've been through this last eight months, you know, I was like, you know, I just want to make sure. So I want to clear the air. I want to make sure that we've checked everything off our list. I'm like, and thankfully endocrine brought like wise and uh, thyroid and, growth hormone is all perfect. So we knew it was just mostly right now GI problems. Marking things off the list is also an accomplishment. So, you know. It it is. And that's exactly, yeah. You're like, oh, and like for him to say, oh, you you just call if you need me. Like, you don't need to come back. I'm like, that is like a huge deal to go to a specialist and be told, you know, everything's good, you know, just come back or just call if you need us. I'm like, that's reassuring too, which we've gotten that with a couple of her specialists, but she sees lots of specialists and, you know. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad she's finally to the point where you can seek out very specific answers at this point. You just want what's best for your kid yes. and you just want your kid to be healthy. And at this point we'll do whatever it takes for her to be healthy. And she, like I said, right now, she's the healthiest she's really been in a really 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 long time and you know we're just grateful that she has gotten better because I mean six months ago I wasn't quite sure where her path was going I mean I really just saw we just saw her slipping away I mean she was just losing so much weight and was just so skinny and and that is so hard as a parent you know and especially when your kid already has a feeding tube you're like no I'm like, we feed her all the time. It'd be different if we like didn't have a feeding tube. I would like to wrap up with maybe you describing Caden's relationship with Kenna. Yeah. The sibling relationship. And I think that that would be really neat to hear from your perspective, how Caden is maybe a protector or does he avoid her or does he, you know, what kind of things um, Caden does to interact with her. Yeah. That's something too, like not only raising a kid or a baby with special needs, but you know, still raising like a neurotypical or a average kid with the special needs child, which is a huge, huge deal. I'm like, it's not easy. It's hard. And something with Kaden is he's, when she was first born, he was only three. So those first couple months in the hospital he was just a little bitty guy I mean three years old didn't comprehend anything that was going on he was just there to play and so but now as he's gotten older you know and it was funny like even at three what three-year-old knows how to 
hook a feeding tube to your baby sister's stomach. Like that's not, <laughs> and he just like, he never cared. Like he was like, Oh, what's that? Oh, that's how she gets her milk. Okay. Like he, there was one point that he literally didn't even think babies drank from a bottle because that wasn't us. Like he doesn't remember Kenneth drinking from a bottle, only had a feeding tube. And so he's just like the sweetest loving brother. He is obsessed with her. And he is his like her protector. He wants to know where she is, what we're doing. And like tonight, he had baseball. <laughs> and he goes, wait, you're, you and Sissy aren't coming? And I said, well, I have a meeting I have to, you know, do. And he was like, oh, for Kenna, what does Kenna have to do? And I was like, well, it's not for Kenna. Well, it kind of is. But he's just like, he's like, well, what's Sissy doing? What is she doing? And it's just, that's just so precious to me because he wants to know what she's doing at all times. And something that's hard is that he's six. So he's still quite not mature enough to comprehend like the situation we really are in with her. Like he, we, she has a wheelchair and he knows that she has a wheelchair, but he kind of doesn't understand like why she has a wheelchair, if that makes sense. Like he, we, we work with him about it. Like, you know, since he can't walk yet. So we let her have the wheelchair because it gives her a chance to sit up and be a big girl. And so he kind of gets that in a way, but he also just doesn't quite understand the aspect of like where she is developmentally. Like he, I kind of get the vibe from him that he, he kind of feels like she's just like a, a baby. Like he, he doesn't think that she's like growing up. Like she, he doesn't realize that she's like three, like, a, like when you see like a normal three-year-old, like he doesn't understand, like he just sees a baby. And so he's just like, oh, my baby. And like he, so that's something to, I think as she grows and gets bigger, will become easier for him. And as he grows and gets older, it'll be easier for him to comprehend. But something we're still working on is just him realizing like, you know, sissy can't stand yet because we do have times when he's like, why we'll go to a friend's house who has a, a three-year-old that's Kenna's age, that's up playing and talking. And sometimes I'll catch him and be like, why can't my sister do this? And so, you know, that's really hard. And, you know, I've kind of set back and not take it to heart as much anymore because I know he just doesn't comprehend. So we're, we're still working on that, but, um, but as far as being a brother, he is the best brother. I'm like, and she is obsessed with him. Like if she's on the floor playing, he has to be right down there with her next to her. She will take her whole body and roll over on top of him. Like she's not mobile, but this girl's mobile because she, if she wants to lay on top of Caden, she, <laughs> she will, or, you know, and she'll take a foot and kick him. And if he gets too close, she'll pull his hair. And so, it's like that brotherly sister relationship, but it's just like in a different form. Like, you know, it's, and she doesn't talk, but if she needs something, she is yelling for him until he comes. And like when it's time for bed, she wants a hug and a kiss and a snuggle before bed. And she'll make sure that he knows that. And, and it's just too cute. I'm like, she can't talk, but she's going to tell him what she I love that she can't talk but she sure, sure can communicate and tell you oh, yeah. what she For wants, sure. wants from yeah. I love and, that it's something with 
him and her, they just have a really special bond and it's super bittersweet. And I, I'm all for it. I'm like all day long. And sometimes it's a little much. I'm like, Kaden, give her some space. I'm like, you got to give her some space. And he's like, but I just love her so much. And we're like, we know you too. She loves you too. And I'm like, okay, but when she pulls your hair, it's because you're, you're up in her space and that's her only way to defend herself. <laughs> but he is just, he's the best. He's such a good boy. And he's, you know, he, him himself has been through a lot of trauma through Kenna and um that's something too I'd love to talk about is um we we started play therapy with him this summer and on top of COVID top of Kenna virtual school you know there was a lot of changes and it wasn't to do with anything with bad behavior because he is a good kid he doesn't he doesn't have bad behavior but it was more of just um you know doing that for him to give him something to do and look forward to and have somebody to talk to and cope with, rather it be kinna, rather it be school or rather it be like, you know, just anything. And so that's something too that um, we've recently done, which I think has been a life-changing thing for him. And it gives him something to look forward to. And because it's always kinna this, kinna this, we have this for kinna, we have this for kinna, but now like, and, you know, we always say she has therapy. And so he goes to therapy and he talks about it. And it's so awesome because he's like, he's like, I get to go there and I get to talk to her about how I feel. And, you know, we, we talk really openly about our emotions. And so um, that's been really awesome too. And like, and, you know, we did it to help cope because he is so protective over Kenna and has seen some not good things happen to Kenna. So, um a good way to cope with that on top of his own emotions and the way he feels. So again, that's something I'm sure we could talk about more about, but I mean, there's more to being a special needs parent than just the kid with special, like just the baby with special needs. Like, I mean, especially if you have other kids, I mean, raising another kid and going from that lifestyle before to, you know, changing our whole, the way we, we live and the things we do. I mean, it's it's a life altering thing. But back with Caden, he's just great. He's such a good boy. He's he's awesome. Yeah, he's a hundred percent boy. Constantly going. Lots of baseball. Lots of things. You know, <laughs> but you know, it's okay. We're here for it, and we've just found it recently found a big love for baseball this this year. You know, on top of everything going on, I'm like we've we've been and tell them this baseball life, which is fine. It's fun. I love it. I would have traded. I love watching him play baseball. And he loves it too. But, um, and I think that's a good outlet for him, you know, to keep him busy. And, and again, something for him to look forward to too. So it's super fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it. <laughs> I love everything about what all you've shared, not only Caden, but um, just about Kenna and, um, and your journey to get to where you are. And I have a feeling we're going to have several more podcasts with you in the future. <laughs> hey, I'd love to. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah I'm sure we would be able to share more and all the fun stuff. Absolutely. So, but I do, I really appreciate you sharing today and um, opening up your home and your world and um, allowing others to learn from you. So thank you. Hey, thank you for letting me. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. 
Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.